stories. Stories speak to the human soul. They make us feel seen. They, they teach us about who we are. They teach us lessons of survival. And they create different ways to see the world. Ancestry and 23andMe found a way to retrieve lost stories of our ancestors. From taking tests and submitting it, we are able to see, uh, to, to find out that we have family members across the world. Family members in areas that we didn't even know that our blood lineage was connected to. And so from there, we learn a little bit more about who we are. We, little, we learn a little bit more about something that we had no idea. So stories. Stories are something that have a very deep and powerful impact in our minds, in our hearts, and in our souls. We're going to jump into Luke 24, 13 to 18. Uh, and we're going to really go into the, like the whole story, but it's, there's a lot of verses. So I'm just going to read this chunk right here. So uh, Luke 24, 13. Later that same day, two of Jesus' disciples were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. A journey of about 17, it's really 7 to 17 miles. We don't really know. Archaeologists kind of just give a roundabout. There's, there's some areas it really could be. But it's about 7 to 17 miles. And they were in the midst of a discussion about all the events. One more time. Ah, oh, I'm not getting used to this. There we go. All right. So uh, they were in the midst of a discussion about all the events of the last few days when Jesus walked up and accompanied, accompanied them in their journey. They were unaware that it was actually Jesus walking alongside them, for God prevented them from recognizing him. Jesus said to them, you seem to be in a deep discussion about something. What are you talking about? So sad and gloomy. See, in the story, we have, in this story known as On the Road to Emmaus, which we're going to explore, um, we have to understand the full context. Up until a few days right before this, Jesus was with his disciples. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends. He was in the middle of the Council of Israel, and they found him guilty. They brought him to Pilate. Again, he was found guilty. He was beaten. He was crucified. And then they laid him to rest and after the death of Jesus, his disciples were dispersed, and they handled the loss in all sorts of ways. They handled the loss in all sorts of manners. And so we have some of the disciples, they just gave up. They, they left, and they started to journey home. We have some disciples who hid. They went home, and they hid. And they were scared. They were terrified that they were coming for them. The rest of Israel was going to come for them. And then we had others who, decide, who, who were mourning, who lost, who mourned the loss of Jesus. And they honored Jesus by gathering spices, by gathering incense, per, wanting to prepare Jesus for his burial. See, those who stayed to prepare, they didn't find Jesus' body. This and, and they didn't find it. They went several, a couple of days later, they went to the burial site, and he was gone. He was missing. And they had no idea. In their minds, it was like the Roman soldiers had took his body. There were robbers. There were thieves. And they had no idea. All these stories about what could have happened, what did happen, was going around. Everything except what Jesus said would happen. All these stories were moving through their minds. 
and this was a painful experience. It's because all of everything up until this point, this narrative was that they were loved, that they wouldn't be abandoned. And now they're in this place feeling abandoned. These stories were impressed on them. See, the stories they told themselves were narratives influenced by others. It was, it was influenced by their circumstance because of how they interpreted their, their, their moment. See, later that same day, there were two disciples on the road, walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a small village translated as, so Emmaus is translated as the burning place. They were in the middle of a conversation when all of a sudden a stranger walks up. And in this conversation, it's really about everything that has happened up to this point. The loss of their best friend, the loss of their Lord, and everything kind of leading up to it between Peter and Judas. They were disheartened. And so this stranger says, what are you guys talking about? You seem so sad. And Cleopas, one of the disciples, asks, are you, this is the first time you're visiting Jerusalem? Like, do you not know what's happening? Do you have no idea what's going on? And Jesus says, like, well, tell me. Tell me the story. What things have happened? And so they went on talking to Jesus about this mighty prophet who God had, perf- who, who, who performed mighty miracles of God. This, this mighty person who people loved. Jesus was a Nazarene. He was a prophet. Jesus was mighty in deeds. He was mighty in his words. He was amazing. He was loved by God. And the common person, he was condemned and he was crucified. And Cleopas finishes with this. And we were hoping, we had hope that he was the one to redeem Israel. This story was one of loss. This story that they were playing was one of unfulfilled, of unfulfillment. See, their story of redemption was lost. Their hopeful story was in the past tense. These things were, but they are no longer. They couldn't turn the page of their life. They couldn't see what was coming before them because they couldn't see past yesterday. We followed him. He taught us. We loved him. He was wonderful. And we had such high hopes But then the cross happened, and and that's that. See, Jesus, their Lord, their God, was limited to their past. And I I wonder for some of us, like in our lives, how many of us in our our struggles, in the difficult circumstances that we go through, how many times do we, we know what God has said, but we just, it's, it's tough. You know, there was some hope, but in this current circumstance, it just seems bleak, and I don't know if things are ever going to change. See, these were the stories they told themselves. The was, the would-haves. Jesus, still unrecognizable to them, began interpreting and expounding all the scriptures that concerned Jesus, beginning with Moses and with the prophets, pointing to all of the prophecies that that were fulfilled through Jesus. He said, I don't remember See, I don't remember where I got from this. The living word 
the living word was shedding light on the written word. This was really cool. Like, I, don't, I don't know who said this, but the living word was shedding light on the written word in this passage. And I want to digress just for a brief moment. Uh, this is what they were at the tomb. And prophecy. So prophecy, prophecy stats. According to the nonprofit organization and Population Reference Bureau, they approximate that since 2011, there have been 108 billion people who have lived on Earth since 50,000 BC. So that number. But just because we've, it's been what, like 12, 13 years, let's add maybe another 500, let's add another like billion, and then maybe 500 more. So can we do that? So that's the number of how many people have lived on Earth since 500,000 BC. And what they calculated, according to Lee Strobel, who's a mathematician and scientist, he got all of his students to come together and just kind of do some of the stats and the probabilities of what it would be like for one person to fulfill uh, eight of the prophecies. And this is the probability for one person to fulfill that. And that was, that's 10 to the 17th power. And then they were like, you know what, let's go a little further. What if someone could do uh, 48, fulfill 48 of the prophecies? And that's something that Jesus did. And this is what that number looks like. So it's massive. And so in this story, Jesus is just talking about and sharing how all the scriptures, the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi and to Micah saying, hey, this is where I'm at. These, these are where all, this is where all the moments, all the passages point to the Messiah, point to Jesus. Mind you, this is in the midst of their storytelling of how awful everything is. All right, so that's end of rant. So we have the disciples. They started in the grave. The burial of Jesus. Everyone scattered. We find in a story two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And then from this story, the disciples, they get to Emmaus, and Jesus is walking ahead, but they're like, hey, Jesus, why don't you, or stranger, why don't you come over to our house and eat? So they invite Jesus over to their home. And when they sat at the table to eat together, Jesus took the bread and broke it. And it was at that very moment that they recognized who the stranger was. The stranger who traveled with them in their journey, who listened to their doubts, heard their unmet expectations. It was Jesus. And in that moment, everything clicked. The disciples had this moment of epiphany. The story they told themselves didn't match the narrative Jesus spoke of. Sorry, give me one. I need some water. <laughs> the story they told themselves didn't match their narrative of Jesus, the narrative that Jesus spoke of. See, all the miracles they witnessed, the lessons they learned as they traveled with him, Jesus, all that happened that led to the grave, everything on the road, it finally made sense to them. And they went back to Jerusalem to tell all the other disciples, 
And when they reached the other disciples, Peter and Mary had already encountered Jesus alive. And all of a sudden, Jesus himself appears. And they are terrified of Jesus. They're terrified of who this person is because they have told themselves that he is dead. Again, they have told themselves that he is dead. He is right there before him. And Jesus says, look at my hands. Look at my feet. Take them. Take hold of me and know that it is me. Know that it is me, the one that you know personally and dearly. You know my voice. You know who I am. And so Jesus, he asked for food, and they ate with him, and they watched and stared as he ate. Jesus took the time to reveal everything in scriptures that were about him. Again, the disciples had another moment of epiphany at the table. Jesus then led them out of the town of Mount of Olives, and as they were ascending, and as he was ascending, he blessed them. So they moved from the, the road, from the grave to the road, to the table, to the mount. These four places. It was on the mount that they were grateful, that they were thankful, and they worshiped God. They had the time to be reflective. And they could see that nothing that they had experienced before was wasted. That everything that they had gone through Nothing was wasted. How everything interconnected and was woven to, into something powerful yet beautiful. See, the disciples went from occupying a dark and hopeless grave to journeying on the road. They had to an encounter at the table and found themselves filled with wonder on the mount. Grave, road, table, mount. Kind of moving a little fast here. Grave, road, table, mount. See, these are the four markers which have obvious meaning in this story, but they have a very real significance in our life as well. In any given moment, we reside in one of these four states. For most of the part, these are cyclical pattern, but they aren't all the time. We go through them, we go through these states several times in our lives. We, have, we find times in our lives where we find ourselves in the grave, where we find ourselves journeying on the road, where we have a moment at the table, and when we see and appreciate life on the mount. See, for some of us, we may find ourselves in a season gazing at the tomb where the body of Jesus was, where the body was placed. See, the grave, these are the season in our, in our lives or the periods of time where we experience great loss. The loss of a loved one. Loss of dreams. Unmet expectations. Life-changing injury. Financial loss. These are the times in our lives where it is at its darkest, hopeless. The events that bring you to the grave are momentous and often static. They are unchanging in their nature. Once the event has happened, it has changed your life forever. It's irreversible. You either stay stuck in the moment 
or you learn to move forward from it. It's at the, these times we ask God, where are you? Why aren't you, why can't I hear you? Why aren't you responding? And for some of us, it's how can I live like this? Which is probably what Judas experienced not too long before that. See, will you make your home in the grave? Will the grave become your identifier in your life? Will that become the main focus of the story you tell yourself? What stories are we creating in these moments? For some of us, we're on the road. We're traveling and we're journeying. And it's different from the grave. It's less static, a little bit more dynamic and fluid because we change. We ebb and flow from here. There are different lanes on this road. And, and we can typically move from each lane, but we tend to, each individual tends to have their own default in this road. There are more roads on this, but I'm just going to just highlight a few. For some of us, we're on the road that's tethered to the past. They left the grave, but we, but we ruminate on the moment. We never really quite left the loss. There's a lot of us turning back to return to the grave. Some of us play the what-if game. What if I did this differently? What if I said that? Only if those who are tethered to the past often watch their present slip and they never quite grab hold of the now. Their life kind of evades them. Then there are those of us who click to the future. Uh, one of my favorite all-time movies growing up was Click by Adam Sandler. And it's one of my favorites. It's a really great movie, but uh, Adam Sandler's his character... He's given a universal remote uh, that he has the power to fast forward time. So if, if he's bored, he can fast forward that moment. If he's uncomfortable, he can fast forward that moment. If there's something he doesn't like or he's in an argument with his, his spouse, fast forward that moment, moment. And by the end of the movie, he's missed all these beautiful moments. Because the moments that we're most uncomfortable with the boring moments, the mundane moments, the moments that we want to get out, those have very important purposes in our lives. And so he moves past that. And I think similarly, some of us are like that. We're time jumpers. There's something we don't like. We just kind of check out. We find ourselves, have you ever, have you ever been started driving to work or driving to a location you always go to and all of a sudden time has passed by and you're like, how did I get here? Like, how am I in the parking lot? I don't even remember that entire 20, 30 minutes to get here. And some of us do that in our lives. We time jump. Trying to outrun our pain, our brokenness. We try to outrun time. We try to out-time time, which is crazy. And then many of us live other lives. Uh, some of us live in the stories of being a victim. And so life, we never make life happen. We let life happen to us. And then we get mad at everyone else because life is happening to us and we never actually live to live. We exist. 
or the life where everything is wrong. Nothing is quite right. The food is just too cold. The waiter just looked at like this. The waiter said this. My spouse, I don't know. I don't really have to think many things that bother me. Uh, but you know what I'm talking about. You, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The little things. Nothing could ever just be quite right. And it's like, why can't you be happy? Why can't you be grateful? And then there's the ideal lane. Living life fully, where gratitude is an intricate part of our lives, where we have wonder in the small things, where life is marked by hope, where we own our lives. No one owns us. Where we make our own decisions, where we are not held back by unforgiveness or bitterness. Every experience that we have is an opportunity to learn where failure is not the end-all, be-all, and relationships have meaning. This is the ideal, and oftentimes we, we can get into that lane, but that lane is a little difficult to, to stay in because it's the human condition. We, we move into our default. Here we can see what stories we choose to believe. And then we have the table. There are those of us who are sitting at the table. And depending how we live our lives and the moments, these moments of insights can, can be sad. We, we have two real things that can happen at the table. The table is where these epiphanies happen, these moments of insights. And it can be one of hope and excitement and looking back and be like, yes. I, I can see where all of that went. I can see why that happened. And there's excitement. But there are moments, and there are those of us who have been at this table, and it is just a sad revelation for us. Because we chose to tell the saddest, the dark darkest, the, the, the story that was the most hopeless. And that is what we focused on. And so we look back in those moments, and it is a sad revelation. We either see all that we missed out on, or how nothing in our lives was wasted. Where all the scars, where all the tears, where all the restless moments culminate into a beautiful encounter. Where Jesus retells our entire story so that we can see it clearly. He was there here he was there then and he is in each and every moment here we can see God's fingerprints all over our lives and this is where Jesus then shows you his hands and feet and he says look at my hands look at my feet it's me touch me grab hold of me and know that it is really me I am really here in the moments at the table, these moments of insights at the table are good indicators of the stories we choose to live by. See, the mount, that's where we, we, we get out from the table, but we can't ever get to the mount part of our lives if we do not have, if we don't get to the table. Like, the only way to get to the mount is to have those moments of epiphanies. 
and it's important the stories that we tell there. So the mount is a place of reflection. It's a place of gratitude. It's a place of worship. When we are on the mount, we can see the narratives of Jesus and our lives more clearly. We can see the stories that he tells us about ourselves. Not what others say, not what we think. In those moments, we can see what God says about who we are. But the mount isn't the final destination, and nor is it something we should strive for, because it's part of this journey in our lives. And, and here's the wrap-up, here's the, the, the to-do, here's the action. It is very crucial in every state to ask yourself this question. What is the story I'm telling myself? What is the story I'm telling myself? And the intent behind this question is the knowledge that in every moment, you have the power to choose. In every moment, you have the power to choose. You have the power to choose in every circumstance how you will live and what you will believe. And those will be the narratives, those will be the stories that you take with you wherever you go. See, in in the grave, on the road, and at the table or the mount, there are so many things in life we have no power over, no control over. We have zero control over where we are born, when we are born, who's our parents. We have zero control of how many fingers and toes we're going to be born with. Zero. And we have no control over what other people will say, what other people will do, or what other people believe. But we do have the power, the authority, the the agency to choose what we say, what we do, what we believe. Some say reading your Bible, praying, or worshiping God is the most spiritual thing you can do. But I'd like to challenge that for a moment. Because I believe choosing is the most spiritual thing you can ever do. Because you choose to pray. You choose to read scripture. You choose choose to worship God. You choose to be grateful. It takes the choice to do that in order to complete the action. Choosing is the most spiritual thing you can ever do. God has given us the agency to choose for ourselves. See, the the disciples had the power to choose what they believed. Some scattered after his death. Others hid. Some forfeited their cause and went home. While others went to bury Jesus. And what's most beautiful is that in every state, in every stage, in every season that they were experiencing, the grave, the road, the table, the mount, Jesus was there. Jesus met Mary at the grave. Jesus met the two disciples on the road. Jesus has revealed himself twice at the tables, giving epiphanies to the ones he loved. And he was at the mount, blessing them and encouraging them and gifting them the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus is in every aspect, in every season of your life, in every state and circumstance of your being. And he's asking you and he's calling you to choose. Choose what you will do, choose who you will, what you say, and choose what you will believe. Jesus offered an opportunity for his disciples to choose differently. To choose differently than what they were choosing at that moment when they were at the grave, when they were on the road, when they were at the table. And the choices, and in that moment, he offers you the opportunity to choose differently. He invites us to partner with him. See, we see this throughout scripture from the beginning of Genesis, the power of choice. And I think the power of choice is sometimes lost on us. Sometimes I don't think we understand what it really means to choose. The stories you tell are created by the choices you make today. What you choose to do and say, you will talk about and tell tomorrow and believe tomorrow. The choices you make today will determine your destiny. They will determine your destiny. And so ultimately, I want to leave you with this question that we've been asking all morning is, what will be the stories you tell yourself? What will be the story you tell yourself?